Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately push them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation for marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, Entrepreneurial Innovations That Changed Everything. I'm your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Mary Grothy. She is the CEO and founder of House of Revenue and the host of the Quota Crusher podcast. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. So uh, give our listeners just a, in a nutshell uh, who you are, your journey in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, I, my parents were small business owners. They had a performing arts school. I grew up in the arts. My dad was an opera singer and actor, and my mom was a classical pianist. I took to dance and got formally trained in all forms of dance. I had big aspirations and dreams that I was going to be a professional dancer. Like most people listening to this, life has a funny way of not always lining up with your plan, but (laughs) it ended up uh, today being in a really cool spot. My parents ended up losing the business. Unfortunately, they were pretty uh, plagued by alcoholism and abuse and addiction and other things. My childhood had some really cool parts, some tough parts. But when we moved from Indiana to Colorado in 1998, they pretty much just told me and my brother, like, you guys have to figure it out, support yourselves. So at 15, I 15 started supporting myself, worked through high school, was completely financially independent. And I had a big dreams goals, college scholarship was going to dance, got in a car accident that got taken away from me, panicked. I didn't know what the heck I was going to do with my life. I I had no family. I'd separated from my family at that point. I didn't have any career projection. I was just going to dance and that was gone. Didn't know who I was. A few years of pretty dark soul searching, but I ended up finding a job and this thing called like a newspaper. It's weird. I'm like <laughs> paper and like words. What on era it. was this? <laughs> um, I got a role as an admin assistant, 13 bucks an hour at a payroll company, actually a, a national payroll provider, and went in as a district sales assistant for the number one sales team in the country, mid-market. Studied as an admin for two years, got a spot on the team, became the number one rep, crushed my quota. Um, my first year had $150,000 quota, sold $758,000. The second year was more than that after they cut my territory in half, doubled my quota, and asked me to train reps and managers across the country, which without any hesitation, I did. And I loved it. After five years with the company, I took a VP of sales and marketing position for one of my clients who happened to be an entrepreneur startup phase help quadruple their revenue in seven months. And I said, huh, kind of have this thing for scaling companies. I started my own first company. First entrepreneurial journey was at age 28. And I did that for three years under the name Butterfly Creative. And I helped initial early stage entrepreneurs and startups get their business plan in place and help get them to profit. The goal was within 90 days and then set them up for scale. I then at that point got into 
entrepreneurship education, actually went on the radio and had a kid's TV show on Fox Saturday mornings, which was really fun. Realized that wasn't really meant for me. And I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't great in it. And I ended up just like exhausting all my savings for it. So I went back to the payroll company three years, met my husband. We bought a house. We had a baby. I sold millions. I took a six-figure commission check. I started my next entrepreneurial venture in 2017 called Sales BQ. I had a focus of rebuilding sales departments, and we wanted to work with companies that had reached their first million, and we were going to come in, just supercharge their sales team. Well, about 18 months into the journey, 2019, I realized, wait, you can only get a sales department producing so well. Now you have to focus on marketing. You need to create inbound lead flow and have brand awareness and emotionally connect with the buyers. If you can do all that, the sales team can actually sell a lot more. And then it doesn't stop there. It has to carry into customer success. The client experience is vital. This day and age where you can go online and any medium and either promote or blast your provider as a consumer, as a buyer, um, as a business buyer in the B2B world, if you as a company are not focused on delighting your customers and having that be a function of marketing and others within the company, you're losing. You'll lose revenue. Your attrition rate will be terrible. You're missing out on referrals and revenue expansion opportunities and so much more. So our firm evolved. We were operating under the name SalesBQ and we just rebranded to House of Revenue. We uh, just eclipsed 2.1 million in our third year. And I'm so just honored to be on this journey. I love my team. I love my family. I love my son, my husband. So much fun. I don't even remember what question you asked me. That was a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. There's so much to talk about in just in that story. Um, my question was, in a nutshell, tell me your story. <laughs> oh, good. I nailed it then. <laughs> it I was a it. <laughs> big nutshell, but you definitely did it. Um, that's awesome. Um, man, so much to say there. I, I think the thing that I'm most curious about is the kids uh, show on Fox. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh. It was called Million Dollar Butterflies. I mean, I got to produce music for it and we were like rapping. I mean, I'm rapping and break dancing on music videos for that. So show. you got so to live your epic. dream of being a dancer. I did. I got it back. You know, it took me a few years, but I got the talent back and ability enough uh, to, to dance. Yeah. I, I actually got to dance on a crew out here in Denver. Super fun. That's you, you so know what cool. A crew is. Uh, I don't know what a crew is. Like hip hop or break dancing crew. It's okay. like your dance team, but it's not called that. <laughs> it's a crew. My uh, my dance experiences. I used to be a performer at Walt Disney World. No yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, I was for for eight years. I did a little bit of dancing. I'm not that much, but much of a dancer. Yeah, so I did. Funny. I did stuff that I'm not supposed to talk about. Like I signed. I signed a way that I wouldn't. I wouldn't say what I do. <laughs> Disney is like super secretive and protective of the mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. Yeah. Like I hear you on that. <laughs> I understand. Um, I totally understand. I know some of their stories. I have a couple of friends that I grew up with dancing and they went into the cruise ship life and eventually yes. made it into Disney. And yeah, you're locked down. I understand completely. Yeah. So um, let's talk about house of revenue. Tell me yeah. some of the unique ways that you, that your company approaches the market what you do what's unique how how we approach the market yeah okay you mean how we work with our clients or yes yes what's unique about the way that you work with your clients got it one of the most unique things 
things that we've been able to accomplish is that we got creative on how to solve their revenue problems. Growing up as, professionally as a top sales performer, the biggest piece for me was that I always had to do everything myself. I called myself the sales unicorn. Even though I worked for a Fortune 1000 company, I had a marketing department that was focused on a different market. They, the company I sold for was predominantly known for small business. I was in the mid to up market. The marketing material, all the case studies, all the information I had was for like a 12 employee company. And I'm trying to sell to a 2000 employee company and they would just laugh at me. They're like, whatever, your company is known for small business. And so when I go, so I, do, I had to figure it out as a sales unicorn, I had to do my own marketing, my own adaption of the brand through my own prospecting and networking in order to fill my funnel. Additionally, I didn't have a lot of automation. I had to send every email in my sales career. I sent manually, not through any of these slick tools that are out there today. My cadence, my 16 touch point cadence, I ran it manually. Oh, and I geez. did all of that work, right? But I had really great success and I loved it. But as we are now in 2020, 2021, and you look at building a real revenue ecosystem, I think the thing that's most unique that we bring forward is that CEOs are still trying to solve their revenue problems with a sole focus on the sales department. And what they want is a team of those sales unicorns. They don't exist anymore. The reps that have come up the ranks in the last five to 10 years are all in environments where they have SDR and BDR teams, so sales development reps or business development reps setting appointments, qualifying leads. They have great marketing and inbound flow. And if you're trying to hire that rep from a larger company, because you know, when who doesn't want the top rep from Oracle? Okay, well, that's a problem because if you put them in your small company that doesn't have name recognition and doesn't have infrastructure, doesn't have a marketing department, doesn't have all the automation, they will not succeed. And so I found these CEOs for years trying to solve this problem when they reach that revenue plateau, like how do we get to the next level? And they want to hire the sales unicorn and put all this investment in the sales department. But the sales department can't, is they're going to hit a ceiling if you don't have the marketing, the inbound funnel and that. So I think one of the most unique things that we've done with our clients and truly identifying and solving their problem is building a revenue ecosystem that's one holistic strategy. That's sort of house of revenue. It should be built on an unshakable foundation that can weather any storm. Additionally, what is the unshakable foundation? Sales, well, it's scripture based. I'm an openly faith based CEO. <laughs> and yes, it's I saw Matthew that in your bio. <laughs> Yes, it's Matthew 24 to 27 talks about the man who builds his house on the rock will withstand the storm. The man who builds the, or I guess it says the fool that builds the house in the sand, it can't withstand the storm. It'll crumble. It'll fall. And when you think about building something on an unshakable foundation, it means that you build it on the rock. You build it in a way that no matter what comes at you, it still stands. And that's, what's important to us. We just made it through a pandemic year. Like Find me a business that wasn't impacted in one way or another. Some flourished. Yeah. Some were absolutely devastated and out of business. Others got creative, figured it out. Others had a little bit of shift, maybe not a huge impact with the industry they're in, but it could have been with team members, employees getting sick or whatever, fill in the blank, adapting to work from home or adapting to uh, how their customers having to interact differently. Everybody was impacted. And when you look at if your house of revenue was built on an unshakable foundation, 
could you not have withstood the storm? And that's the argument we created this year, because when the pandemic shutdown happened in March, 2020, we had nine clients who said, we're looking at you, figure it out. Mm -hmm. We're not going anywhere. We refuse to fold. You got to get us through this. And we even had a few clients that doubled their spend with us because we showed them uh, through tools like SEM Rush, which is a backend tool that you can see how your competitors are performing against you in their digital strategy. And we could see some of their competition pull back uh, on spend, on ranking for keywords. And, and we're like, we've got to double down. We have to attack and get more market share for you. And so when it's talking about building an unshakable foundation, it's being able to survive and, and, and to weather any storm. The second part of that is that marketing sales and customer success should live under one roof. They need to work together. And too often in the majority of the companies that we work with, Sales, marketing, and customer success have their own departments, their own divisions, their own silos. And I don't know the last time they sat in a room together and figured it out. Yeah. And that is one of the greatest problems that we solve. And I feel like most CEOs, when they make investments into solving revenue problems, they go silo focused. Let's get a sales trainer in here. Let's upgrade our CRM. Let's hire a marketing agency. Let's go through a rebrand. Let's whatever right? Bring in a new head of customer experience so we can up our NPS scores and try to fix retention. Those all work, but maybe to this, if you just fix it and address it all at the same time, our average client invested a couple hundred thousand and the average revenue growth was 3.2 million in a pandemic year. Wow. Amazing, Mary. Um, <laughs> uh, I could, yeah. Um, I could listen to you talk about this stuff a lot. Um, the thing that I want to, that I'm interested in now, um, cause this is about the entrepreneurial journey, um, and what, and what yeah. tipped you towards success. So I want you to think about a time when you felt like you were banging your head against a wall with your company and maybe a decision that led to a tipping point towards success. Yeah. Well, it was a forced decision also called the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a funny story. Okay. So December, 2019, I was part of a women's CEO group and my company hit 1.55 million. We were only in our second year. So first year was a half million. Second year is 1.55 million. I sat there after a hard, grueling year of hustle and grind, 80 to 100 hour work weeks, traveling on a plane almost every single week, leaving my house at 5.15 in the morning, uh, in the office by 5.45, turning the lights on, getting to work putting out fires like crazy. We scaled so fast that year. It was, we forgot to build some key infrastructure. Um, we were bringing employees in like anybody who said they could do the job. I'm like, great. I have so many companies <laughs> wanting to spend money. And I sat there in this women's CEO group, December, 2019 in tears of joy. I felt like I had reached my peak. I'm like, I climbed the mountain. I did it. For all these people that think you can't scale a service business because we don't have MRR, ARR, our contracts don't work that way. And so it's not, uh, it's a traditional service-based business without long-term contracts, which is very difficult yeah. to scale. And to do that in two years, so one and a half million, um, it was a, an expensive one and a half million. We did it at 16% EBITDA. But to do that, I was in tears. Like I did it. I'm on top of the mountain. I'm amazing. Okay. I hope you're laughing when you hear that because 
three months later, Q March 2020, pandemic shutdowns announced. A three-day period, I lost 60% revenue, 60% of my clients. I didn't know when the bleeding was going to stop. It was straight out of a horror movie. I had so much grief, loss, and devastation, feelings of that my sacrifice from my family, from my life Mm. was for nothing. What I had Mm -hmm. built in three years or two and a half years, I just watched it start crumbling down and I was in utter disbelief. And whereas in that moment, I was grieving, terribly grieving. I had the reflection to realize, or maybe the discernment to realize I wasn't grieving what I had lost as far as what I had built in the business and what revenue had decreased. I was grieving the fact that I gave up two and a half years of my life to build something that could come down in three days. Mm. That leads to what I say about building it on an unshakable foundation. Where that came from was my pastor did a sermon called Unshakable. And that's where the Matthew scripture came in 24, 27. And I realized we scaled too fast. I was too caught in the weeds of the business. I didn't know how to set boundaries. I have the world's kindest, most loving husband that knew this was my dream. And he let me get away with that bad behavior of not being around and traveling. Our son was nine or 10 months. How old was he when I started the company? Uh, I guess he had just a year, 13 months, maybe when I started the company and I missed two and a half years. I missed him going into being three and a half. I'm sitting on the floor crying on the third day of this crumbling down. And I look over at my kid. I was on the floor because my son was playing trains and I look at him and like the glow of the TVs on his face. And I'm looking at him. Like, I didn't know he looked like that. <laughs> like I didn't recognize my own kid. Dang. And I'm like, I think I did this wrong. You know, I think I went about this the wrong way. You could have asked me three months ago and I thought I was the most successful person. And I'm not, I'm like, I did this by the world's definition of success, but something is not right here. And I made a commitment to my family, to myself and to my team members. You know, we didn't lose everything. We dropped down to nine clients that still believed in us Um, from 20. We dropped down to nine and I looked at my husband and I said, should I just let this business go? (laughs) Cause I'll go get a job. I'm capable I've neglected you guys. What do I do? Nobody knew what to do in March 5th on March 15th. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he looked at me and he's like, you are an entrepreneur. You're fearless. Like you can stomach risk that normal people can't do it. Like you can do this. We're behind you. Like you have to do what you feel you're driven to do. And his counsel to me is you could go get a job or you could go get a job any day of the week and you're going to hate it. (laughs) You got to stay the course. And so I did. Um, I consulted with six really, really, really close friends and advisors on what the heck do I do? I'm young. I'm still learning. (laughs) I don't want to lose this. They helped me. They gave me great counsel and we rebuilt. And I went to my team and I said, we're going to do it different this time. And I read in that scripture. And I also read in the scripture from Galatians. It says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not fail. And now my LinkedIn banner still says do remarkable work. And I went to my team and I said, there's one thing we can control. And that is how we serve our clients 
in how we take care of them. I said, they are as scared as I am. They're as scared as we are right now. They're scared for their family. They're scared for the families of all the people that they employ. And they're looking at us for revenue generation. Revenue is king. It's not cash is king right now. We need revenue in their business because we need sustainable future growth. And we, we banded together and we said, we're going to do it. We figured it out. We've got this. We've now rebuilt our company in just 10 months. We rebuilt our company to hit our 2.1 million at 25% EBITDA, the most profitable we've ever been. This is my highest grossing year. And I work 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I haven't been on a plane since. I also don't do client work. I am with my son every morning. I walk him to school, weather permitting every day. I make him breakfast. I'm there when he opens his eyes. I make him and my family an amazing dinner every night. I put my son to bed. I read him his bedtime stories. Our relationship is unbelievable. We have our own language. My relationship with my husband, can I tell you, like I prayed for that man. I had such a dark childhood and I attracted more of that through my twenties. I had a lot of really bad relationships and I just prayed for the most godly, conservative, gorgeous, wonderful, loving man and I got him. And I realized that I was neglecting our marriage. And my husband, though, he never gave up on me. And he was there every single day. And our marriage now is unbelievable. Our son is unbelievable. And now I have a team that I get to invest in through mentorship and development. I also get to do things like this, spend my time doing podcast interviews and content creation. And I love talking, as you can tell. Can you tell? <laughs> Did you know that about me? And I, I actually like, let me tell you talk. something, Mary, let me tell you something. Uh, you're so good at talking because I love to talk and I've barely said anything. <laughs> so that's it. What's my tipping point. I had the rug pulled out under me and God doesn't make mistakes. And he knew exactly what I needed. And for so many people this year was a major reset. And my hope is that entrepreneurs listening to this is that they dug deep inside and they found the innovation and the creativity, which is what we were born to do and figured out how to survive and to innovate and to iterate and to be the next best, best versions of themselves. Yeah. And anything I can, I can say here is you do not have to abide by the world's definition of success. I have so much joy seeping out of me. My heart is overflowing every single day I am living a life I never knew could potentially exist, be mine ever. And I, and it's completely attainable, but you have to make the decision to one, believe that it could exist and two, make decisions and reprioritize and restructure the way that you're doing things. Um, And you've, you've shrunk the things that you're doing down to things that you love to do that are not taking away from your family. Is that true? hundred percent. What insights would you have for entrepreneurs who are listening? Just do it. Make the list. Quit Quit with the excuses. You want to be at your kid's game? Well, sorry, we don't have games right now, but you want to be on your kid's virtual Zoom school play? Um, then do it. Quit making excuses. You want to be there for something important? Then don't book the trip. If you Be around. Don't have regrets. Um funny we're recording this today. It's a very somber day. One of my, one of my great friends passed away Uh and he's a CEO and he's been a phenomenal mentor to me. He was 46 years old and he was one of the most influential people in teaching me that it's one life. You can be an executive, but if you're going to choose to be married and choose to have children, then you need to sign up to do those things too. 
Because if you just signed up for all three, but you only execute in one and neglect the others, the damage that's caused in those people's lives, and it's usually the company's chosen over the marriage, over the children, um, they'll forever have to work through that. And that's not something I ever wish on imparting. And although he had been a great mentor to me for years, I was still blind to it and didn't know what I was doing. Um, In March, he was one of the six people I talked to, and he was the one that just put his foot down for me and help me see that what I had been doing was on the wrong path. Um, I just found out today that he passed away um, 46 years old. And it's a huge loss to our world. And, and I think about as an entrepreneur, we have a big responsibility. What's that? People look up to us. We get to set the tone. If you don't think your people look up to you on your team, you are wrong. The way that you show up, the way you act, the way you respond, the way you speak, the way you treat people, the way you are with your family, you're setting an example that then sets for them what a definition of acceptable might be. And if you're not living the life that you expect your people to be living, don't expect them to live something different than what you're modeling. Yeah. Cool. Mary, (laughs) thank you for being on the show. (laughs) Hey, who wanted to cry today? Anybody? (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Always good. Always good. How can listeners connect with you? Uh, marygrothy.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, houseofrevenue.com. I don't know. Google Mary Growth, you'll find me. <laughs> Great. Love it. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.